Horizon Forbidden West gameplay. And we talk with you guys about Games Pass. Hello and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me, as always, Mr. Saw Bridges, bringing you guys lucky episode 214. 214. You know, one thing I noticed that both of us do from the cold opening, I find myself doing it a lot when I'm speaking it, but when I'm typing it, I don't. I call it Games Pass, but then when I type it, I type it as Game Pass, which is what I think it's actually called. I thought it was Games Pass. Who knows? That's not like some kind of bad naming structure or anything like that. That's actually a perfect name for that service. That is Xbox Space Game Pass. I got to remake the thumbnail. (laughs) Saul's over here having to do double work, as they say. Well, we hope that you all, by the time you hear this, are having a fantastic Memorial Day. If you are in, I guess, the United States. I don't know what other countries happen to do that. So for all of our Australian listeners who will be in the future by then as well as some of our overseas people in, like, the U.K. I just hope you're having a good day. Maybe it's a three-day weekend for you. Maybe you're off having some good holiday. Maybe you just took a vacation day. Maybe you're at work. Either way, I hope you're having a good time. Uh, For those of you who are enjoying your Memorial Day, take it in. Soak it in. You don't get them often enough. (laughs) It's it's nice. Uh, Yeah, it's what we did. We actually had a full, big weekend of... um, Yesterday for me was my daughter's birthday party. That was a big day. Had fun. Today was getting together with the boys and doing what we've, or what I've now dubbed the Yu-Gi-Oh! Scavenger Hunt. Yeah. Where you just try and go to random back town Walmarts to see if they still have Yu-Gi-Oh! card stock. And we we came out pretty pretty good today, I think. You know, we're not flipping them and selling them and being the people in the videos that are like punching each other and running into the door as soon as they open. Um, we're not, we're not selling them at all. We're just, yeah, like, we're just, we're, we're just, just having a good time finding cards and opening them and you know, all that fun stuff. But, uh, yeah, it's a good weekend. Going to do some relaxing and playing a little bit more games and whatnot. But we of course got to start this show off the right way. Part of the warning I, or part of the reason I got to that was to give you a little bit of a warning that this is going to be a little more off of the cuff. We're doing a kind of like a holiday episode for us, considering that our day so far has been, road tripping with the boys and whatnot i haven't done news in the traditional sense so we're going to talk about things that we know about to some degree but there's inevitably things that we're going to miss that have happened so take this episode as what it is which is really just coming together having a good time doing the episode and being a lot more relaxing with it uh to match our three-day weekend plans here uh so saul to start this off the right way is this a repeat of last week or have you played a significant amount of games this week i have not (laughs) i have played uh, like a few hours of Returnal, that's it. So when you say a few hours, I guess you you jumped into your run and did from from start to finish, you got all the way to the final boss of the Citadel? Yes, uh, and I did that last night, Saturday night, and then I played for like an hour today, but maybe even less. And I assume the Citadel, maybe it's not, but is the Citadel basically what's calling to her at the top of the mountain? You'll find out. Mm, no spoilers. Yeah, you'll find out. No spoilers. All right, cool. So you didn't play much else? Nope, not at all. But we definitely played Yu-Gi-Oh. Still going to count that, you know what I mean? Yeah, we did play a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh on Thursday. Saul had... Today. Saul did not have a new deck to try out just yet. No, I will next Saturday. You will. Next Thursday. Soon. I'll have a new deck to try out today when we get done here. I'm excited. Um, yeah, I played uh, I, I played a good handful. I've been playing Resident Evil 7 again because I was mentioning that I'd never played it outside of VR. Also discovered something. I need to check. No, it would have been yours. What? I just realized this. 
I would have the PS4 I sold you, right? Yeah. I think would have been the one I played VR on. I don't have some of the trophies for Resident Evil 7 that I should have. And I noticed that last night. Can you not just sync and it fit like Well, it's it means that whatever console I was playing VR on for whatever reason wasn't syncing. Maybe it wasn't my primary, I don't know. That's weird. Yeah, I don't understand that. But there are trophies I know I had, so it's weird, but we're going through it. Like, some of them I knew I didn't have, uh, like when you're doing a particular fight with a chainsaw, you're supposed to duck. Um, I had never done that, and I did it on accident, and it popped. I said, oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Um, but it's just weird. Either way, replaying 7, in, uh, like I said last week, I think, is it's just interesting. It's a really pretty game, and it gives me high hopes while we talked about graphics not being everything, and I think Resident Evil 8 is a good example of where you let graphics in your production be important, but that's also because you're not trying to make a game that looks like Resident Evil 8 while also being 45 hours long with a bunch of side missions. Instead, you have a 10- to 12-hour game that's a very structured and focused game that looks the way it does, and that makes a, a great deal of sense to me. I think that that's a good use of it because it's also clearly a good game. Um, but yeah, I'm excited about that because there's some really pretty Vista vistas, even in resident evil seven, like, yeah, they were cool in VR and they had like a bigger sense of realism to them just cause you feel surrounded by it. But yeah, they look really good when you're actually playing through a TV at a much higher resolution. <laughs> and you know, that's just the way it is. I could see that. Um, but yeah, I played that. Um, I did play a little bit of returnal. I did one more run. I got through the crimson waste uh, again, still haven't beat through it. I've, been slacking off of playing my Vita as much. I have not been bringing it to work and playing it on break like I was. Um, I don't know what I want to play next on it. I'm just kind of in a weird spot. I've been, ex- I, I don't know, lately I've been more excited about Yu Gi Oh! Yeah, than to. I have gaming. That's a little weird. Um, I intend to do a couple of things. Uh, I intend to start Resident Evil 8 soon, and I also intend to get back more into Returnal. But Biomutant, I did start and play. I've only played about three hours of it. I really enjoy it. So far, it's kind of open world, like Devil May Cry. Like, I, really, Devil May Cry is a good example because there's guns and sword combat. Having to know real combos to be able to most you know, efficiently pull stuff off is cool. Guns, at least for me and the class I chose, maybe it might be true across the board, are really strong. I think almost too strong to the point... Where there's no ammo, so it's not like they're strong, but then balanced by the thing that if you waste them all, then you're just out. So I hope that that's something that they balance with this patch they're talking about coming up. Uh, But there's some cool things I like about it. Like um, there's this narrator, and I know it's a point of contention for some people, who basically narrates the whole game, start to finish. uh, And he does every bit of like, the, the people speak in random language, and he basically tells you the gist of what they were saying so that you can communicate with them. I like it. It reminds me to a degree of someone telling a story, which reminds me of like fable one in particular, where you had the narrator being like, Oh, here's the boy who did this. And his mother was killed. It just gives those vibes to me. And it also, of course, kind of sounds like, uh, uh, what is that? It's not David Attenborough. Is it Stephen Fry or whatever? Who's the, uh, let me not lie here. He's the the voice actor dude who does. Yeah, I think that's right. Stephen Fry, who does uh, Little Big Planet. Yeah, yeah. He, he re- it really reminds me of that too, and I love that in Little Big Planet. So I'm having a ba- uh, a blast with uh, uh with Biomutant, and I'm hoping to get further into it. But that's what f- tomorrow is for. 
That's true. That's tomorrow. Um, we're going to get into the community's take, and I guess I need to pull all that up. Cause, so, yeah, I was not prepared. I can handle that for you real quick. Yeah, go ahead. Last week, we asked you guys to let us know how you feel about Games Pass and its impact on the game success is how it's measured. And uh, we asked you, do you think that the impact is positive or neg- uh, negative for Microsoft as it continues down its own path this generation? And uh, we have a ton of... A ton of answers. A ton of answers. And very heated. I won't say heated, but very open discussions and back and forth with people. It invited a lot of conversation. This is why you should be in our Discord, which is in the link description below. Jehudi, MD patron, he says, I can't imagine with Microsoft acquiring these big developers that Games Pass will be profitable at any time. However, Microsoft can handle this easily, but I can't imagine that if Games Pass continues to be a non-profitable endeavor, that the stakeholders and investors will like that situation. Development of big-budget games continues to increase, and the revenue from Games Pass will not match that unless they eventually uh, increase the price per month. Microtransactions, DLCs, etc. will offset some of that cost, but I can't imagine this applies for all games. Which is true. You're going to have a lot of games on there, like... um, I don't know if it's still on there, but Kingdom Come Deliverance, I don't think that game has any microtransactions in it at all. So that's a game like right there that where they wouldn't be getting secondary funding in a way uh, from. Yeah, because that funding would not only, of course, it, the, the funding would benefit the developers directly for any potential lost sales, which is something we'll get into in the long run, too. Uh, that's part of the conversation that was being had. But let's just say that on the side that there was that, that's a potential for developers to make money. Um, but it's also a way for... Microsoft to make more money because they'll make their 30% store split on all things that are bought. So I think that, that that is a sensible look at it. But of course, it's weird to use games like Kingdom Come and whatnot, which is primarily what we're doing. And because this highlights a big issue that's at Xbox that I don't actually think has anything to do with Game Pass. It has to do with Xbox. When you're talking about Game Pass, you can pretty much only talk about third-party games. Like the only game I can think of in recent memory that is that came to the service that was an exclusive basically what would you even call that i guess a timed exclusive but the medium um because it sounds like the medium is still going to eventually come to playstation i could be wrong on that but i know it's at least on pc um but yeah team bloober is doing that and i guess that's probably the closest we can look at being something that was part of a partnership with microsoft but since Game Pass has been out, there's been very few first-party titles from Microsoft. Um, so you can't look at this from the way that you'd really look at it, which is the end goal, as I've always said, and what's obvious here, is to do what Netflix does. Uh, or Netflix has continued to push more and more to do, which is to get everything on your service to be something that you own, that you're only paying your people to produce and create, and that you aren't having to play, uh, pay licensing fees for. Because that, those are the biggest cost factor in all that. So the end, ga- the end goal for Microsoft is to have all the Bethesda teams that they just acquired, Ninja Theory, and all these teams ag- eventually get to a point where they're firing on enough cylinders and on an offshoot calendar to where they can keep the majority of the service filled with their legacy IP that they've acquired here and that they've had just from being a game company for so long, as well as the new stuff they're creative, they're creating and that's the majority. Like, yeah, there still might be an, an indie game or two. Or like uh, one person mentioned on here, I actually am curious. I can't remember who did it. Um, they were talking about on a time where maybe Microsoft doesn't have what they need. 
that they would end up pulling in a third-party game temporarily if they see that there's too big of a lull in their gap. Like, ah, we'll just go ahead and pay a third-party game to come in as a launch title and continue to make the service be a good value, arguably. Well, and this is actually kind of interesting. Another patron on Discord, he says, uh, RudeDays93, says, so right now with Games Pass, it's pretty interesting because at this time, Games Pass has shown that it doesn't take sales away from games, and if anything, it has increased sales for games, especially second and third party games. He uh, then goes on to say that this tweet below, which I'll tell you about here in a second, is from someone who covers NPDs every month for games. This could change years later, but another thing to think about is we don't know the cap on how many subscribers Xbox can get. One, once xCloud gets fully released and it's on all sorts of devices, and if the streaming works, is it possible to reach 100 million subscribers? Which is a ridiculous number. Um, the tweet he was talking about, though, is from Matt Piscatella, and he says, Still no sign that Games Pass cannibalizes sales volume. Still signs that Games Pass may increase sales volume due to networking effect. The debate, yep. con- the debates continue. And that's also a weird thing because, you know, we're seeing, uh, we're three years into Game Pass. And clearly, when Game Pass is still in its infancy like that, one person who goes on Game Pass and plays, let's call it, like, let's just say that the situation we have with The Forest was that. Let's say that The Forest is on Game Pass. One person who has Game Pass gets on there, plays The Forest, loves it, tells their friends who may not be ready for Game Pass or interested in it that they love The Forest and that they should play it with them. And now that one lap sell becomes four more new sales from people who don't have the game off of the networking that came from the singular person. Right. And I do think that that's true. Now, the curiosity there is that as Game Pass continues to grow and grow and grow and be the primary way that Xbox intends its users to have games on there, does that lessen? Because at that point... Isn't the idea just to have them on Game Pass to begin with? And if less third and second party titles are on there, which again is what I predict to be the the I I predict it's the plan is to go Disney Plus route. Disney Plus does not have a single thing that Disney does not own or is new producing. Yeah. So to that end that makes the most sense. Um, but yeah, that'll be, that'll be curious to see. Um, for now, I think it still makes sense because they're what last, I think I checked, I remember checking with 20 to 25 million subscribers. Yeah. And that's roughly, roughly half of the Xbox one sales. You know, the, the Xbox one sold roughly 40, 49 million, something like that. Um, and we're finally seeing, and we're still getting that from like secondhand sources because it's the only thing you do. Wild Andrew just cr- crossed on the camera. You're fine, Andrew. Keep going, dude. I was letting anybody who was watching know. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, th- that's going to be interesting to see. I'm going to hop over to uh, Facebook real quick, one of the ones where Saul can't see. You do that. Um, and look at. Uh, one here. Ken Nay says, I think it's too early to tell what kind of impact it's going to have on Xbox or the industry as a whole. I do wonder what happens to Xbox in a few years. Uh, if in a few years game pass, does it become as profitable as they're expecting? How would Microsoft go back to selling their games at full price? And could they support all their studios? If all of them are trying to sell 40 to $70 games. Um, and that's, you know, he, he's right. It is still pretty nascent for that game. And when you're looking at it in that sense, you are somewhat saying, 
we're in early enough stages that Microsoft is doing very different things than they could end up doing. But I think three years in is enough to at least ask the question of like, from what you've seen so far, how do you as an individual think that Game Pass is affecting things? Um, one thing that he said right here in follow-up, though, was as Game Pass grows, I wonder how it will affect the sales of games on Xbox that don't launch on Game Pass. The Call of Duties, Grand Theft Autos, and sports games will still sell, but what about everything else? Will we see more third parties do a timed exclusive deal with Sony if they don't want to launch on Game Pass? It's an interesting potential future, but it also, again, hinges on the fact that I think you're looking at if Game Pass continues to be third and second party heavy. And while it will for a little while, until Microsoft's internal output can catch up, I still think, I guess, Saul, do you agree? Do you still think that the end goal is to get Microsoft's teams being all Game Pass and get all the rest of it off? Or do you think that their goal is to stay third party? It's it's hard to say. Um, I don't know. I think xCloud, like Rude Day said, will be a good catalyst to know kind of what they're doing moving forward. I think that that there... If xCloud is adopted on all these phones and other devices and is, of course, prominently featuring Games Pass or Game Pass, but if it does that, then, yeah, it's it's hard to say either way. Well, you know, one thing that already kind of puts, and again, this could be a temporary thing that Microsoft is doing, but right now, currently, EA, um, what is it, Play? Whatever, yeah, EA Play. Whatever their service is, is included as part of Game Pass. And if that continues to be the way that it goes, then no matter what, you always have those EA games in there too. Now, are they day and date? No, because EA doesn't do that on console. I think there's a PC um, version of the service that's more expensive that does do that. But to that end, you still do have third-party games on there. But third-party day and date starts to go down in that particular scenario. But to your point, if xCloud goes on to everything and starts being really heavily impacting consoles and console sales, which I don't completely see, kind of like we talked about last week, I don't see for at least another decade. Yeah. But when that day comes, do publishers start going to Microsoft and begging Microsoft to be on their service? Whereas right now, I think that public, that Microsoft's going to publishers and not begging, but being like, here's a big lump sum money that's kind of ridiculous for your game to be on our our service day one. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. I, I'm curious to see xCloud and where it goes and like the details of it, the fine details, like what is the cost? Because we've seen that people have Xbox Live and Games Pass and that's like, you know, affordable for most people. But then, what if xCloud's like $40 a month? Oh, once it hits that point? Yeah. Yeah? It'll be weird to see how successful it'll be, if at all, at that price. Though, it, it is like- weird. You're, you're right. It's still, and in, in a lot of ways, it would still be a bargain, right? If, if you look at it as you buy, which some people don't, if you it, look at it as you buy a single AAA release every, uh, every month, and that's $65 originally with tax and everything, now it's more like $77. Uh, if you look at that, then arguably for less than the price of a single game, you still have multiple day and date releases. If, but can you afford that? If even then, if, if you can have the internet to support xCloud. Sure. That's true. So it's, it's, it's kind of all these weird kind of what ifs going into it. Um, 
I want to hop over to Twitter. Well, I'll take one from Discord real quick. Yeah, one I actually ahead. really like because it's a it's a it's a new POV of this. But uh, one of our good buddies, Sean, um, he says, being a recent first timer uh, Xbox owner, Games Pass is an incredibly special at allowing me to play a host of the best Xbox game series from the very beginning. Developers are definitely seeing it as worthwhile for getting new people into their games. There was a recent interview with, uh, from the Descenders dev. Sorry, I'm trying to suppress hiccups. And they have stated how huge, how huge Games Pass has been for their game, and now seeing them, uh, now seeing more bigger third-party titles joining the service, which definitely is showing confidence in it. If Microsoft can hit up to 50 million subscribers over the next few years, they will see it as the way forward. Always remember, if you don't want the service, you still have the option to buy the game, which is very important as it offers a choice to gamers. Yep. Now, the crazy future would be if Microsoft eventually does kill that, but that only comes down to if Microsoft, and even then, they still could offer the option, but if Microsoft strictly wants it to be uh, a, a streaming service, but or I shouldn't even say that, a service-based thing, because think about like... Um, a good example is like Photoshop and stuff like that. They have been pushing and pushing and pushing further away from letting you buy your own individual copy of Photoshop and instead being on a service where you have to pay monthly, but you always get the newest Photoshop. Whereas for a long time, it was, I bought Photoshop six, whatever you want to call it. And if Photoshop's eight is out, but I'm still happy with Photoshop six, it can do everything I need to do. Then I'm just going to hold on to six. That's the kind of difference between a service. Now, of course it's a little different, but I wonder if there would actually be a point in time where Xbox would consider it better for them to not let you buy the games. But then that makes their platform a lot less attractive for developers who may see somebody go, oh, well, if we're on Game Pass for three months just to get people to try our game and then afterwards they have to buy it to continue playing it, uh, then we can see an upsurge in sales. Because I think one of the things that ends up happening with Game Pass is everyone expects that if a game hits Game Pass, it stays there forever. And actually... Game Pass rotates games out a lot, a lot. So games even that come day and date don't stay on the service forever. I wouldn't be surprised if Outriders is off of Game Pass in the next month or two. Now, it may not happen that way, but that is a way that you can make that happen. Hey, let's get on Game Pass for three months. People will be way more willing to try our game. It gives us money up front. And then when it's off, for people who want to continue playing our game who maybe really liked it or they're convinced their friends to play it, they buy into it. Yeah. That is part of where I think the increase in sales comes from as well. Yeah, and honestly, like going back just a little bit to the choice on if you're able to buy it, um, it is interesting to see how it would do on the opposite side of the spectrum if you couldn't. If you couldn't buy it? Yeah. Well, part of the reason I think they would, but then again, it's just we're still looking at what's going on today, and we're clearly talking about a future to a degree. But one of the things that I think Google had correct is that you could buy your games. Like, yeah, you could pay for this certain version of Google Stadia that came with games for you to play, but you also could buy your games. And I do think there's an importance in that, but I think that importance is also undermined by the fact that you don't really own digital purchases. So if Xbox does eventually move away from, and again, that could change, digital rights management and uh, digital digital content rights could change by then. But at least for now, in the current set of rules, if Microsoft decided to step out of the console game or only be in the console game in so much as it's a box that doesn't have a disk drive, you aren't, you're buying a license 
that tells you you can play a game until they tell you that that license doesn't let you do that anymore. And that's just uh, that's the weird thing about it. I mean, that's more of where I stand, but it's partially it's also the truth. You're not buying the game so much as you're buying the ability to play the game, which arguably is what you're always doing. <laughs> yeah, because I mean they could do the same thing with disc. Yeah, if they don't want you playing it, they could they it, they could find a way to lock it. Yeah, they they absolutely can. Yeah, um, run over to Twitter real quick. And I like this because this is kind of interesting. Uh, Mark Schutz, one of our patrons, he's a big Xbox gamer, though he does play both, of course. He's, but I know he likes Xbox. He says, couldn't care less about Game Pass. As a multi-console gamer, I'm never short of something to play and much prefer owning my games rather than renting them, which is essentially what a service is. At the moment you stop playing with the service, you don't have those games anymore. Uh, on the rare instances, there is a game I can't buy on the service, such as the medium. I'll get a month for $1 and play that specific game only which is interesting that one dollar loophole i'm sure is closing soon yeah. as they've closed a lot of other loopholes which is funny people are saying they're mad about that and being upset with microsoft and other like you know playstation fans are looking at it as a sign of failure and other weird things and no i think that that's always it the goal is to find a way to entice people to try it and then once people like it decide that they do eventually you have to make it profitable I mean, and that's how you make it profitable is you make someone pay what it is. Is it an extreme value at a dollar for a month? Absolutely. Is it still a really good value at 15 for a month if you're doing um, Ultimate or $10 a month for normal Game Pass? Absolutely it is. You may be paying 10 times more, but you're also not paying $45 to try a game that you weren't unsure, that you were unsure about, let alone all the other ones in the service. So... You know, like for his example, right? Mark says he pays a dollar. But if you pay $10 to play the medium in one month, that's less money than you pay, than you would have paid to play the medium in any other fashion. So, yep. I mean, yeah, it's still a deal, but Microsoft eventually has to find their cup up, come up and to make money. Cause like they said, just because Microsoft has the money doesn't mean that people are going to be happy about it. Right. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of how it is. Um, and, I just like that because seeing people who are Xbox gamers who aren't yet into it, I think is interesting. And I think it's a valuable viewpoint because it's people who are really not necessarily at odds, but they're not buying into what Microsoft's primary goal is right now. And they're benefiting from the fact that they do have that option to buy games as uh, rude cold said, um, quick one over here, Tyler Haynes. He says, absolutely love game pass. I think going forward, it's the way to go. I'm all about it. He's about it. That's it. <laughs> That's all you need to know. Um, let's see. I want to do two more uh, and, and kind of go off of there. And I promise there's a bunch. And there's a bunch of discussion that I think is interesting to see. Clearly, I'm not going to read law. Uh, I'll do something real quick, though. One of the things that was going on here is kind of looking at um, why publishers choose to put their games on there. And one of the publishers that was mentioned uh, was Square Enix. And they're saying, you know, why would Square put dozens of games on it day one and even, in Outrider's case, a day one release? Um, and, you know, there's a lot of ways you can look at it, right? I think Square is a good example because Square is a, is a company who's traditionally saw lesser sales on Xbox for their very Japanese-heavy games. And we know that when Square started putting these Japanese-heavy games on Xbox, they did so under Game Pass as soon as they launched, like all the Final Fantasies and Kingdom Hearts. Yeah. Yakuza also did the same thing, a very Japanese series that typically has been PlayStation exclusive because there's no proof that it would sell on Xbox, but they're putting it under this service. And the reason is, again, lower entry of uh, barrier of entry. And if you can do that, 
people who may not traditionally be into Japanese games can find this game as part of their service and be like, you know what? I'm curious. What's a Final Fantasy game? What's a Yakuza game? What are, What is my time worth when I don't have to put any extra money into this investment than what I've already done? What's three hours to see if this game interests me? Uh, and I think for that situation, it makes a ton of sense for Square to put their Japanese-focused games on Xbox and on Game Pass at launch. First of all, because they're getting a, a lump sum from Microsoft to do so. They're getting more people to try their games so that in future releases, there's more reason for them to want to go buy those, even though that would be directly benefiting Sony right now because Final Fantasy 16, from what we can tell, is going to be either a timed exclusive or a full exclusive. So, but... Outriders is a really interesting standpoint because the way I looked at it is did they do it with Outriders because there's evidence that Game Pass helps game sales or did they do it because early reviews and playtesting for Outriders worried them that the game might not find a huge market in the standard market, but if you lower that barrier of entry, that game can find success in a less traditional sense, which is this new sense of success, right, which is player base, while still being profitable because of the deal with Microsoft, of course, paying them to be on their day and date. We'll never know the answer to that. That's just kind of how that works, but it's interesting to think of why someone would choose to do that. Is it because of the thought that sales will increase from it and you'll make more money from it? Or is it a way for developers currently to look at it and go, we don't know if this game's going to sell well in the normal market. Let's put it on there, hedge our bets, and at least make some money up front. I think either, 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 or, either or, yeah, it makes perfect sense. It does, yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense why any developer would be coming into this. Um, there was a there was this thing that where Colin uh, Moriarty went on to David Jaffe's stream, and he was talking about right now that even his company's wanting to talk to Xbox to get in on this while they're getting is good because eventually this honeypot has to close. Yeah. But right now, it doesn't matter who the developer is. If you can get in and make a big lump sum and then also still be selling on PlayStation while you're making one lump sum here, you've got the best of both worlds. You're having your cake and you're eating it too. It's really interesting. You're not wrong. All right, what do you think, Saul? Um, I want, I'll, I'll lead us out on a good one. Go for it. Shafe Dog 247. Okay. Yeah. AKA the homie. Uh, he is a patron. This is on Discord. He says, Games Pass is a solid value right now, but I can't see it staying this way. At some point, good old Bill Gates is going to want to recoup half of his fortune he is losing in the divorce. <laughs> I think that's the perfect ender quitter right there. I love it because he's not wrong. I think he, 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 it's also, I'm pretty sure he knows this. Bill Gates has zero to do with Microsoft anymore. Right. Clearly, he still makes money off of it, but he's not on the board. He's not anywhere. Actually, Microsoft recently... Microsoft basically just recently talked crap on Bill Gates and disowned him because of something that came out about in the early 2000s. He had an affair with somebody who worked there and that he didn't view that as... you know They didn't view that as okay for the company and the company's a different place and Bill Gates is not involved anymore. Very interesting. <laughs> I love it. But the reality is, is that it doesn't have to be Bill Gates, right? Bill Gates can be the John Doe of this. Whoever the big boy is who wants the money, they're gonna re- they're gonna want that money back, yeah, to some degree, even if it's just the entirety of the shareholders. But I'm still curious to see, in general, how games' success has changed and how that changes when and how sequels are made when and how a game is just determined a break-even success, if nothing else, and how long that stays for non-first party. But those are the answers we'll eventually get. 
Uh, definitely, if there's some kind of another big, whenever Epic decides to sue someone else in the, in yeah. the future. Because that's about the only way we really get answers to this. Um, Who do you think they'll sue next? My bet's on Facebook. For what? I just had a curiosity. Anything. We sue Facebook because Facebook uh, is using a new font that looks somewhat similar to Fortnite, and that's stealing people away from us. That would be very odd. It would be. I could see it, though. (laughs) Actually, what if they sue Biomutant because of the UI? You remember the other day you said the UI for Biomutant reminded you of the Fortnite font? Yeah, it's just a font, though. (laughs) They go and be like, listen, that was a a font that we made and you stole it? Why is it? I hate Windows. Why is it I Google the weather? It's it's because you talked about Bill Gates in a negative fashion. Automatically put a widget down here on my taskbar for the weather. That's exactly why you talked bad about Bill Gates. You can only say positive things about Bill Gates. Bill Gates is a wonderful man. <clears throat> oh, look, my computer works, no problem. I bet it does. <laughs> All right, we're going to get into the news, but like I said, it's going to be a little more off the cusp than usual. So, of course, one of the big things that happened this week is we got to see the Horizon Forbidden West gameplay reveal, as well as kind of all of the different um, biomes and stuff they showed in the countdown leading up to it. Which was funny. There was a large group of people who were upset because they thought the reveal was just basically... They thought the countdown was the reveal. Like, you're just getting to see Forbidden West environments in real time moving. And that was not it. So instead, we got to see uh, a a big new nearly 14-minute gameplay section uh, that was a mix, of course, of gameplay as well as uh, in-game cutscenes and whatnot. And the first thing that came out of this is the Internet's new Craig. If you remember Craig... Craig is the alien that had the weird face in Halo Infinite's gameplay reveal. Man. And now the the fun thing for the internet is uh, Aloy's jaw as it looks so big because of one of the camera <laughs> you know camera angles. It's funny. Someone was like, why'd they do this before they see it? And I could see that it looks like that. But clearly when the camera moves out, she looks normal. What this is is games do this thing where they basically have faux cameras built into the engine and they're mimicking focal length and focus uh, focus distance and all those things and it has a warping effect there's a really cool video that you can actually see just because it's really interesting of someone standing still and them taking photos with different camera lengths, and you can just see it. It'll go sequentially through them as they get bigger and bigger focal lengths, and it's like you see their face go really small and almost flat like a fish to really wide. Yeah. And it goes to show you how cameras work and how you can affect the way that someone looks based off of the type of lens that you're using. Um, but I do love seeing all these things. Like, Have you seen... Uh, uh, <laughs> I guess that they did like the face morph where it's like with every console, Aloy gets bigger. It's like on PS4, she was slim. And then on PS4, uh, or then on PS5, she's got like a little bit more of a jowl. And then on the big one, she looks like the mom from like, what, what is that show? Honey, honey boo boo. Oh no. <laughs> but yeah, uh, actually that came out Yu-Gi-Oh night and, uh, Saul didn't get to watch it. So we came back here and watched it while we were doing Yu-Gi-Oh night. What'd you think about it, Saul? I thought it was, I thought it looked fantastic. I am uh, thoroughly excited for it. And I am hoping that they have a little more of a, a better flowing story in this one than they did in the first one. And I hope it's a little more memorable. Um, 
But yeah, overall, I I cannot wait to play it, and I think this is what a true next gen title looks like. So if uh, if you're curious as to what I consider next gen to look like, go look at this video because honestly, it's just it it, it just looks fantastic. Well, and that's an interesting statement too, right? Because this is still a PS4 game. Yeah, it's, a, it's it, now we saw the PS5 version. But this is still a PS4 game. Absolutely. And I think we talked about this before, too. Like, where there are next-gen titles on old-gen, like, Last of Us is a next-gen title, regardless on what it feels on PS3 or PS4. I consider that next-gen, because it had next-gen, like, features in it. Um, and this is always happens, to that I consider, at least, that when it gets into the uh, very, 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 very... Um, late gen, you're going to get bleed over and there are going to be games on next gen that don't belong on next gen. And then there are going to be games on the previous gen that look like they should have been on the next gen. Mm-hmm. And this is one of them. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And now, of course, in this case, it benefits from a number of different things, but it's on both systems. Um, right. Now, there's small things that I wonder if they would be happening if you weren't having to do crosstalk coding. Um, like, Aloy's hair clips a lot more than I, w- than I anticipated. It's not a big deal. Uh, and I, it wasn't, like, immediately immediately noticeable. Definitely in gameplay, but you see it in cutscenes a little bit more because of the way they choose to frame um, the image. And that's fine, but... I think this is an interesting thing because I think Horizon is a perfect example of a game that clearly is gorgeous. Clearly. It looks fantastic. And this comes weeks after us talking about game budgets rising too high and what would be a, our ideal way to have everything, right? Because you want to have these games. You want to have The Last of Us Part Two, And you it's interesting to have a game that looks as beautiful. It shows you what tech can do and what a dedicated team of artists can do when put to the test. It's amazing. But at the same time, at the end of the day, we just really want a game that's fun and memorable in whatever way, be it story, be it whatever. Um, but Horizon is a really interesting thing because I'm going to be honest. Yes, it does look gorgeous. And there are things I immediately looked for that were weird about the first one because of how otherwise pretty the first one was, like odd facial animation. One of the big things here, facial animation is much, much better. It is. I didn't actually ever see a, at a point at all in which the, the, we just found a funny picture. In which um, the facial animation was off. It was more with her hair, and I guess there was like one little part where her lips kind of did something odd to me. That didn't. It didn't. Me too. It looked. I guess it. I guess it looked uncanny. Is what it is. But other than that, I. I loved it. Yeah, but that's the thing. I want to tell you the thing I was actually focused on the whole time is I think Horizon and Days Gone are two of the most fun games to play last gen that were exclusives. Did they also have good stories? I thought so. I, I mean, I, I disagree with Saul a little bit. I agree in the sense that I think Horizon needed to tell its story a little bit more, with a, with a better flow to it, a little bit better pacing. Um, could have been used, though thankfully you don't notice that too much because of how fun the game actually is. But I think the story is very memorable in the first game, uh, to me. Well, so, I think there's some characters in that game that, like, whether it's, like, Silas or anything like that, that's, you know, kind of more of a mainer character. But then there are side characters in the game that, kind of, that the almost almost involving anything but the main story, every other character in that game, to me, is a, it's forgettable. Yeah, no, you're right. So it's it's really the main story yeah. that's that's where the 
the good is, yeah, the side quests in that game are largely forgettable yes. and speak to what we're talking about where there was no need for them. I would have really loved that game if it had zero side quests, still had that big open world where you could just go and fight robo-dinos and figure out the best way to take them down and yeah. have a great time. That's what I want. You can cut that game's length down uh, by a ton uh, or replace side quests with fun collectibles to get. You know what I mean? Like I was talking with Blake and one of the things about Breath of the Wild that I did I you know one of or I didn't care for the shrines in Breath of the Wild at all. I thought they were very boring. They were basically a handful of puzzles that you'd repeat in a slightly different way once you started getting to enough of them and it got boring and I just wanted real dungeons. But the one thing I did actually enjoy doing was finding the Korok seeds or Kor- whatever, however you say that. Korok word. seeds. Yeah, though that was fun. And I think that there's more reason to give someone a pretty world to explore, give them a fun reason to explore it, not only with things like collectibles like that, but also engaging combat that makes you think and figure out the best way to overcome a situation, which I think Horizon does very well, and arguably Breath of the Wild does too, uh, when there are enemies. And it's something I liked about Days Gone as well, where it's like, how can you make the moment-to-moment gameplay really fun while also having a beautiful world to explore that maybe occasionally feels empty, but for a reason. It's not weird to me that Horizon feels empty in a spot because guess what? The apocalypse basically happened. Days Gone is empty occasionally too, and guess what? Zombies are everywhere, and they hoard together and sleep at certain times, and you can just go out and see what a world not full of humans destroying things is like. And I like that. Biomutant actually makes me think of that too. So far in playing, there's large stretches of Biomutant that don't have anything going. It's just a pretty world that you're seeing kind of the after effects of a of nuclear meltdown, and that's cool. Uh, but I like that kind of stuff. So for me, looking at it, it was more about like immediate story repercussions because I I am very invested in the story. Uh, I did was just curious about the the, the lip syncing, and I'm glad that it's not an issue because when you focus on a character's face, a good example of games that get away with it is it doesn't matter if they have good lip syncing because they choose to frame their things in such a way that you're not focused really close on the mouth, and you're seeing that weirdness come out. But gameplay gameplay changes were a huge deal for me. And I like a lot of what we saw going on. One of the things Saul said, and it's a good example of times where games overboard. Uh, there's a part where she has her spear and she's walking out on the beach. And the guy who's like a brute says, do you think you can hurt me? And then she like does this weird, almost like Japanese anime, anime. move yeah. where it's like she flips around and like shoves this electrical thing into her weapon and it shocks the ground around her. Uh, Andrew's back here opening M&Ms and Skittles and having them drop on the ground. But anyway, she does that, and Saul's immediate thought was, we don't need to have... I, he, I hope that that's not... That animation is not every time that you're going to do that. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's going to get old if that's kind of like a finishing move. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would not be a fan of having to see that constantly in battle. It'll get old after like the third time in an hour. Yeah, which, I mean, it depends on how often you got to do it. But the game looks great. The changes in combat look really fun. I like seeing the new dinos because one of the things that made those games fun is, oh, new dino, what do you got to do? Yeah. Like, you, do you remember the ones in the first game that had, like, the little carry pods on their back? They were, like, an like octagon. Satchel, yeah. And you had to knock the octagon off, and you could go and check it and see what was inside of it. Right. And there was a way to collect resources. It was super, like, creative. Yeah, I like that a lot. And, of course, the big new mammoth-looking thing is cool because, like, the Thunder Jaw was like, well, what's the best way to get it? Ah, trip it. Put a trip mine, trip it, knock it down. Find the weapons on it, knock those weapons off, use those weapons against it. That's fun. 
It's a great way, and I love that. I think both of those games don't even need to look as good as they do because they're just fun. But it's cool. I'm excited for that. Looks really good. We, of course, saw that we have new PlayStation Plus games, and that is Squadrons for PS4, Star Wars Squadrons. We have that. We have Virtual Fighter 5, if I remember correctly. Let me go pull that up, Uh, which is, from what I understand, um, it looks to be a remake of Virtual Fighter 5 for PS4, but it's exclusive. So it's another new game that we're getting day one, which is pretty cool. And then the PS5 game is another game called Operation Tango, which I'm not entirely sure what it is. Yeah, I don't either. I'm so, it, I mean, it's, it's pretty interesting. It says it's a brand new game, like they've been doing with PS5 so far. They call it a co-op spy adventure that requires you to get online and use your microphone to communicate with another player to solve your missions. One of you is an agent, the other one is a hacker, and neither of you can see each other's screen. Oh, I already know what this is. Then this is going to be like you—you could—it's going to be like that bomb disarm game. Oh, the be quiet, nobody explodes or whatever. Yeah, it's going to be the exact same game. I mean, that's fine. I think that those kind of weird co-op games are fun. You know, one of the weird things that I kind of hope ends up happening in this kind of sense, but I hope it's more of like the Demon Souls thing. Um, uh, oh, Death Loop. So you know how Deathloop, it's like you going through and there's another person who's running against you to try and stop you in the story? Yeah. I thought it would be really cool if they find a way to make it to where the whole time, be it like Journey or like Demon Souls. It's somebody else. Or it's someone else. And whether it's the same person all the way through, which would be really hard to pull off, of be. course, but more like Journey, where it's like you, you learn that every step of the way it was another person. That would be cool because one of the biggest problems with games in general, and, and they're trying to get better. A lot of companies are starting something to try and fix this problem. But AI tends to not be good enough. Definitely for smaller games that are smaller budget because AI is rough. One of the small complaints I have about Biomutant is every now and then the enemies are just dumb. And that's okay because the game is still fun and moves around. But it would be nice to have enemies that are a little more aware of what's going on around them. And you see that a little bit more in big budget games. Though there are games like The Last of Us where... I remember the original Last of Us. They were saying that it was going to be like great, uh, great AI. And it's hard to hear the words great AI and then just see Ellie running in front of every enemy and them not thinking anything of it. Yeah, stuff like that takes you out of the moment. Real yeah, quick. it's immersion breaking. So it's it's interesting thing. I'm curious to see that. I never got around to playing squ- uh, Squadron, so that'll be cool to end up playing. And I think it has a VR mode. This Operation Tango. Now, did I mishear you? Did you say Operation Tango's VR? Uh, no, I don't know about Operation Tango, okay. but that Squadrons, I think, has VR. That'll be a fun game to play to try out. Also, Virtual Fighter Five comes at an interesting point, right? There's all these rumors that we've been hearing forever about Microsoft coming after buying Sega, which I've never thought was going to be the case. And here we have a Sega game remade exclusively for PS4, hitting PS Plus day one. This just screams one of those weird things. Though, to be fair, to the moments at hand, Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo are also both... Excuse me, PS5 timed exclusives, and Microsoft owns that company now. Well, not only that, but the whole <laughs> Sega thing was just rumors the same it was as Konami buying. Um, Our PlayStation just, buying Konami. Yeah, PlayStation buying Konami. Yeah. Those came out like a week later, and that was to combat the fake rumor of Konami getting bought. It's, it's all just I called that like like when it happened. I'm like, this, none of this is true. Yeah, it's annoying that that ends up being the thing. Yeah, because I mean that's just that's somebody wanting to feel important and fake leak quote unquote something 
and they're always a hardcore brand like nerd. Like they're gonna love to suckle Sony's teat or Xbox's teat, so they got to make some kind of acquisition that blows everybody else out of the water, and it's never real. Uh, one of the things that PlayStation talked about this last week as well is bringing more of their franchises to mobile um, to be able to break into certain parts of the market as well as bringing more of their titles to PC, which, of course, we know. Um, so they were talking about it, and these are interesting things where there's no real announcement made from this, but there was a slide that talked about their games coming to PC, and in that slide was Uncharted 4. So... I would not be surprised if a game like Uncharted 4 came to PC at all. You know what was also in that slide? A fan made a uh, Gragnarok thing. Yeah, it wasn't in that slide, but it wasn't another. Well, you know what I, mean. I don't even know if it was actually in this presentation, but yeah, there was recently a fan made uh, logo that was used uh, in an investor thing. Also, why would Uncharted 4 go first and not the collection? You know, I really don't know. That's a no, genuinely good no question. Sense. I mean, that, the, honestly, the Uncharted series is one that I would say like that's perfect for going to PC. Yeah, because it's been out for so so long. Excuse me, more hiccups. Bluepoint um, did that as well. Go, I mean, yeah, they did. And, and if you remade it for PS4, which is already pretty PC based, I think here's the, the big problem with PlayStation bringing games to PC. Right, is the expectation of what is in a PC game, and this is true. Microsoft actually dealt with this exact same problem when they first started talking about and technically launched Play Anywhere. So Play Anywhere was Microsoft's, oh, we're going to start releasing all of our games on Xbox and PC. And one of the problems that came with that is, like, I remember um, one of the first games that did it was Quantum Break. Yeah. And I love that game. But on PC in particular, it had almost none of the options that you'd expect from a PC game. You didn't have very much control over it. It was pretty much, this is what your PC needs to be to play it. And just about the most you can control is resolution. Well, Horizon has some pretty good options in it. Yes, Horizon does, and even more so on Days Gone. Horizon has yeah. some issues, actually, uh, at launch that they end up having to patch right. that affected its sales. Uh, and Days Gone has done better and has seen uh, bigger sales. It didn't sell as much as Horizon because it's not as big of a game, clearly, but its sales have consistently gone up instead of Horizons, which hit really big, and then after three days, plummeted because everybody realized the game wasn't working well. Um, so I think that's part of it, right? And I think part of what happens there is you can't just say, well, here's the, the Uncharted collection, get over it. PC people are going to expect you to bring the Uncharted collection over and they're going to want field of view control and frame rate control, motion blur control, and all these different things like, you know, okay, can I, can I control my texture detail on this and this and this? I wouldn't even say that like, but sure, that's what texture detail might be one thing, but I'm, I, I would think that now motion blur and stuff like that is all not PC exclusive anymore. That's been in so many games of generation. I think that it's yeah. fine. Um, another thing that was cool was seeing console games start getting V-Sync, which is what field, we saw with um, and Field of View. And Field of View. Bob yeah. Mutant has Field of View. Uh, I really like that. And um, we saw with um, V-Sync was on Rainbow Six Siege. Was it? Yeah. Yeah, people were probably, since that's a... Um, Esport game makes sense. Yeah, so that's cool to see that. But I, I mean, know. still, there's expectation across the board of what's what. And since the Uncharted collection itself is pretty old, and Uncharted Four is pretty old, yeah. Um, I don't know. It would just be interesting to see. But it, I do agree. It would be kind of weird to bring Uncharted Four, a game that's all about, and actually part of why I'd, I wish it was done a little differently. It's about bringing all these relationships together one final Fast time, and Furious style. 
for a heist. <laughs> uh, but it's just so weird to do that without any knowledge of who these characters are prior. Yeah. I'm not saying you can't do it. I just don't think it lands it just, nearly as no, well. No, yeah. I, I would say you can't do it. That'd be stupid. That, that would almost make it so that people who wanted to play Uncharted... Who has never played it before? Are more mad that they can't even start at yeah. the beginning. It's more disrespect to them that they're like, well, I guess you know, they'd be like, 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 like this. Like, let's say we have been wanting to play a brand new tactics game, but then they decided to make a Korean one we didn't even know existed come over and be fan translated, but it's a sequel to the other one. <laughs> yeah. Just like, okay, I don't understand any of this game. Um, one of the things that was really interesting, and I want to come, I want to find it because it was. Cool to see them do that. One of the slides they showed during this, and I say cool. Some people are probably going to be like, what? But I think it makes sense. One of the things we talked about across PS4 is that Sony didn't do enough to, and it benefited me because this is a style of game I really like, but they didn't do enough to differentiate and give variety to their first-party output on the major scale, at least. Yeah, we did get games like, or really even the game, even the other games we got. They tended to be third-person character action games, you know. Um, Majority of them. So when you see this, it was it's kind of cool to see what Sony might do here. But Sony actually talked about seeing a very rapid growth in free-to-play games and service-based games and stuff too. And one of the things they talked about in service-based games was how MLB went. Um, cross gen or cross what is that i guess cross play and went multi-platform and how that benefited them and how it benefited the game and the sales and that they were looking at it as part of a reason that they need to start doing more service-based games uh from their first party like they need to have what microsoft has with games that may have gotten laughed off initially but games like sea of thieves that have had really long tails where people play it for a long time and spend money in microtransactions in the game that are strictly visual and don't impact the game in any significant way yeah there's a lot of money to be made in that particular way and sony's just missing out on part of the market yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. And they're, I guess, they're doing so at the cost of also dominating the market that they're in, which is third party, third person shooter slash action adventure games. They were doing a really good job there. Well, but. it's interesting too because talking about this, it's going to kind of lead into another piece of news about Sony losing out on market in a weird way. Yeah, yeah. For the Borderlands Three Games Pass or Games Pass, Borderlands <laughs> Three Crossplay ordeal. Yeah, so. Uh, the last thing, of course, like I said, is them looking at doing more mobile games on that in particular. But Saul does bring up a good uh, an interesting thing that happened this week. Uh, Randy Pitchford, the CEO, president, whatever he is, of yeah. Airbox, came out with a tweet that said, um, good news or bad news first. He said, good news, Borderlands 3 has got a patch that's ready to support cross-play across all platforms this long after release. That's cool. Um, and then he said, bad news that... Uh, Due to publisher demands for certification, they're making us remove cross-play support on PlayStation consoles. And now immediately something happens. And I understand the initial response of people going, well, that means that this is Sony's fault. Sony would not, you know, let the game through because cross-play was involved and they shut it down. Well, one of the things we know more or less perfectly clearly now as a result of that epic lawsuit is that. Sony no longer denies games for crossplay. They have a protocol in hand for what they expect from crossplay games. And basically what they're doing there is saying, "Hey, here's this game, you're doing a patch for crossplay. Our crossplay policy means that if you do that, we'll let it go through." 
But for any lost revenue that we may make, you have to pay us some form of royalty. And what you look at in the tweet, people are blaming Sony immediately, but the tweet specifically mentions the publisher, which is 2K in this pot. So 2K is probably looking at this, talking with Sony and realizing that they're going to have to pay some kind of royalty for crossplay on a game that's older, that may not see that much use of it, and they're just cutting their losses and saying, eh, we're not going to do it. We're not going to support it cut it out so that we can get this game certified with Sony without having to pay that uh, or, you know, set up that agreement. And yes, the reality is it's technically there's two parties at fault there. It's 2K for not wanting to do that. And it's Sony for having that in place. I think arguably though, like I said, whenever we initially talked about that, I think that's the right thing for Sony to do as a business, as a business. Now, of course, the right thing for the consumer, as Saul and I talked about at work the other day is to open up crossplay for older games because it lets those games have a longer you don't want to call it shelf life, but that's just really longevity. not what it is, but just longevity. Yeah, it allows games, especially community-based games and or multiplayer games, based around like stuff like looting shooting, because those games go on forever. It helps keep their, loot, uh, their, their player pool up massively. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, though, if, if this will ever come out as to who was at fault, whether it's 2K or Sony. Or, I don't think it ever will, but I mean, I think we've seen enough about how Sony handles crossplay to know the answer. Yeah, because like I'm reading the tweet here, and it just says we have been required by the publisher, so 2K, to remove uh, crossplay support for PlayStation consoles. But is that because of Sony, or is that because of something with 2K? We don't know. Yeah, we really don't. I mean, no matter what, Sony's involved clearly. Otherwise, it wouldn't only be affecting Sony yeah. consoles. But I still think that there's enough. We can read between the lines and pretty quickly infer that this is due to 2K not wanting to deal with paying royalties on potential lost revenue and seeing how that split may hurt them. Now, the reality is is that Borderlands 3 could end up being way more played on PlayStation and they'd never have to pay at all because you only have to pay if the revenue lost or if the revenue split doesn't make sense and align with the player base uh, you know, split. And that's reasonable for Sony to ask that. It means that Sony does have a policy in place to let crossplay through, but to also benefit off of others benefiting from their work to create a platform that the majority of people want to be on and play on. Um, and that brings us to a lot of interesting questions about all these things and about how money's going to be made should Game Pass, as we circle back around to that, should Game Pass ever hit Sony or Nintendo? How do Nintendo and or Sony and PlayStation, I guess, uh, how do they go about making money? Because you know, the, the argument is, well, they'll be on PlayStation. Well, PlayStation and Nintendo wouldn't want them on their service unless somehow they're making money. But how is that money determined is it a it, there's no way it's up front because that goes too long is it a yearly fee is it oh you get a you get a light version of game pass as one of the people one of our patrons said uh whenever it hits microsoft and or whenever it hits nintendo and sony it's basically game pass light where the only games that are on it are microsoft exclusives games that sony would you wouldn't be able to buy on sony's console anyway right but even then why would Sony benefit from you having a slew of games to play that would require you to not buy a thing from them when if you didn't have that, you'd be looking to buy something to play on your PlayStation, which would give them money? It'd be the amount of money Microsoft pays them to put the service on the console. That's Yeah, that, or you have to do some kind of weird thing where it's like, oh, you have to pay for Game Pass PlayStation Edition, where 
if you're a PlayStation player, you play you pay five dollars a month. Thirty percent of that five dollars goes to PlayStation as their thirty percent split, and the rest of it goes to us. Because you got to remember, EA Play was the same issue. Whenever it was first hitting, Sony declined it. Yeah. And then when they finally added it in, you can buy the thing through them. And I assume that means that when you buy the subscription through them, you get money off of it. That or they look at how many hours you play on their console and give some kind of royalty based off of that. True. I mean, there's there's all these hidden metrics they can find that would know, and they have analysts that can tell them, you know, this this amount, <laughs> this amount of money will work, uh, this amount of money won't work, this amount of time played, if it's this, it can be this. They, they can let everybody know that. I mean, yeah, but then again, a lot of those things will never happen. Like the only reason we know the crossplay thing exists is because of that court case. A leak, yeah, and which, <laughs> and which we're not, we're not, we're not even, we don't even know specifics. We just know that's a thing. Yeah. Um. So for community's take, I actually, actually thought about it. There's gonna be a fun one again. You know, we we sometimes do topical in which some things in the news make sense for community's take. Sometimes we just do fun ones, like when we asked you what was your favorite gaming snack. Um, I actually did play something else this week, and I completely forgot about it because I did it yesterday morning when I was waiting on everybody to get ready, and I played Scarlet Nexus demo. Oh yeah, which is phenomenal. It is. It is. Do you remember how good Astral Chain was because of the intuitive combat? Yep. Go play Scarlet Nexus because it's it's the same exact way, but it's done in it's in a combat way I've never seen before. That's crazy. Super crazy. Because I think everybody expects it from something like Astral Chain because of Platinum. Yeah, and then this is Bandai, and this is a brand new IP for theirs. And I skipped all the story story cutscenes because I really didn't. I don't. I don't want to see the story in demos. I never do. I just yeah, want to see true. the gameplay. And how well it holds up. And it was fantastic. So I was thinking, we even mentioned this last episode, what is your favorite demo of all time and why? Did it, is it a game demo that you, so like for me, I'll just give you another brief example. I played the Viva Pinata demo for probably 300 hours, but I never <laughs> once bought Viva Pinata. That's crazy. Um, also... I have played other demos like um, when they made the first person version of um, oh what is it called it is it was a tabletop RPG that they made a first person shooter of back in the 360 gen oh um Shadowrun yeah Shadowrun yeah I never bought the full game for Shadowrun because all me and my buddies did was play against bots all the time so I never had to but then there are times in which a game demo has completely turned me off of the game there are times that a game demo has completely uh Excuse me, has completely you know tilted the game's favor. So I'm curious, what is your favorite game demo? And it can be for any reason. Um, and let us know. And of course, you could do that at our Discord. The link description below. You could do it on Twitter over at Triangle SQRD, our Facebook group, which is called Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast, and finally our Patreon over at Patreon.com/slash/Nartech, and that is where you guys can support us monthly. Uh, for as little as a dollar, and it helps out the show. It helps us do stuff for the set when we change the set around. It helps us get decorations for Halloween and Christmas, and it is just a great help uh, overall. And this show is brought to you, uh, brought to you because of you guys. There's no way if Patreon didn't take off like it did for us, even in a small way, and even in a big way, that we may even still be doing this show at this quality. Because this is this is some stuff that we were allowed to do because of you guys for being so generous and appreciating the show, and we appreciate you for that. Uh, you guys are here for the reason that to see us, and we're here to, because of you guys, and we thank you for that. And uh, another cool feature about our Patreon is that at the end of every episode, Brett live, by the way, reads them out. I yelled turkey sandwich last time because people didn't know that was live. 
that we do this <laughs> live. Uh, Brett sits there while I get up and get ready, and in this case, you get Yu-Gi-Oh! And um, he goes through everybody's names. So we like to yep. appreciate all you guys for tagging along with us on the journey, whether you're a YouTube subscriber, a podcast listener, a Patreon, Facebook group, Discord, Twitter, whatever it may be. And uh, we'll see you back for episode 215. Thank you, guys. See you next week. Thank you. Shout out to Kyle Grimm, turkey Josh sandwich. Jarrell, Matthew Green. My name is Dan. You can't keep saying turkey sandwich. They're going to catch on. <laughs> Luke Bartolomeo, Sean Santarude, Funk Turkey, Danny Villiobos, Corey Hickerson, Blake Popst, Kevin Bacon Bits, Mark Schutz, Shadowist, Steven Salazar, The Stonard, Rich, Constantly Kenny, Solitary Red, Chris Figs, Zachary Sawyer, this is his last month, but thank you so much, Zach, for all your patronage. Landis, Rude Days 93, Josh Drago, Bailey Robertson, Brian, Donovan Williams, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Joshua Lago, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, Jehudi MD, Rob Warpoint, Richard Schaefer, and Hammond Thank you all so much. See you next week. Hey, man.